I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. Hello, Martin. Good afternoon. Hello. Oh, thanks for coming on, fellas. And, um... So nice that you could bring your friend Martin on, Wolf, and I know that you've done lots of exciting work together. Well, I remember, Esther, all kind of started, we were sitting around our old dining room table about five, six years ago, 2014, and, and we were talking about the bees and you'd been a beekeeper. And there was the competition coming up for you know, the World Expo, I don't know if you remember. Mm, of course. You made some lovely salmon, actually, Wolf, and it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you still remember it. And, and I remember us uh, talking, and then this, this competition kind of came up, and it was to design the the uh, UK Pavilion for the World Expo, and the theme was Feeding the Planet. And I was a little bit sceptical at first, to be honest, about even entering the competition. It's usually architects or engineers that win these things. I suppose I had this idea about wanting something to be you know, sort of sustainable, but really told the story about feeding the planet, but it needs to be universal. And the thing about the World Expo is that it kind of goes beyond language. It needs to kind of reach lots of people. So it needed to be really sort of simple, but kind of meaningful. And I've been aware for a long time about the the bees, you know, the challenges that bees have been facing for a long time due to, you know, climate crisis, pesticides, lack of biodiversity. And and because bees are they're almost like canaries in the mine. They're so exquisitely tuned to the environment. I thought maybe uh, using the idea and the metaphor of the bee could be a fantastic sort of story and maybe help change people's ideas, people's kind of consciousness about how important the bees are and perhaps even do something to help save them. And so this idea of kind of creating this multi-sensory sort of experience, you know, rather than something just to just to look at and wonder at, but, but something to kind of wonder in amongst something which would kind of really affect you emotionally. And, uh, and another friend of mine uh, sort of said, well, if you want to decide about the bees, you should speak to Dr. Martin Benchik at Nottingham Trent University, who's doing this uh, this incredible research into how bees communicate. So I managed to track down Martin's email, and then he got in touch with you. Do you remember, Martin? Yes, that was in 2014, Aww. March. That's right. And what did yeah. you think, Martin, when, it, when, the, when Wolf called you? I thought he was a complete nutter. He sent me a, an email, very, very enthusiastic, very, very passionate and uh, absolutely madly enthusiastic. But um, it was very exciting, the potential of the World Expo. And from the moment we met, there was a connection and uh, it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I remember, Wolf, when um, you first met Martin and you started to tell me about all the little sort of microphones and things that he was using to listen to the bees and remember thinking, oh, my God, this is just amazing. Well, it was it was life-changing in a, in a way for me. I mean, I, I remember I was kind of, as I said, I was aware of bees, but not kind of intimately. And I never kind of held them. As, you know, I've never had bees myself. And then so I remember going to, uh, one of, with, uh, to one of Martin's hives and I remember lifting up this frame of bees at first. And it was just the most incredible thing. You know, it was, uh, but it just looked fantastic. And it was, you had these, you know, 
thousands of bees kind of crawling over the frame and the smell was just beautiful intoxicating all the smell of the, the propolis and the honeycomb but it was a it was a sound just this incredible sound this it was like a really deep low uh, visceral hum and and i thought maybe i might be a bit scared you know that you have all these kind of bees kind of crawling over you but it wasn't it at all i felt incredibly calm you know uh, really connected to them and maybe through them uh, to the earth and uh, and that's what really sort of struck me that that somehow if you could mm. kind of express this this sound this this energy as a live experience so it might have a, you know a really therapeutic effect on the audience as, as well as maybe make people realize how important and essential these these creatures are to pollination I mean they pollinate 30 percent of the food that we eat and then Martin started telling me and showing me demonstrating some of the sounds that the bees made. Did you start like singing the little bee song um, to start with, with all the sounds? <laughs> I was thinking when you said feed the planet, I was thinking, did you did you start thinking no, no. feed the bees? <laughs> did it, did that come into your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, not no, Lester. Actually. <laughs> I've heard all the music and I was so amazed by it. But how did you like think? God, I'm how. I'm going to, like, just get these bees to join my band and join in with the sound. Well, it was the, it was the sound of, of the bees themselves. And, and it, was this, it was like this drone, this, this incredible drone sound. And, uh, and I always had, had this idea of somehow if you could kind of combine and integrate you know, the, the sound of, of bees and also people sounds, your musicians. So there's a couple of friends of mine, Kevin Bales and Tony Foster, they play in a, a spiritualized amongst many other bands. And so I had a chat with them. So I said, "Would you inter- interested in you know, talking about doing this uh, the soundscape for the for the project? Because some of the work that they do is all about about like, this drone, these kind of deep visceral drones." And at first, I think they thought the project was a bit out there. But they're the kind of people that, that are really up for new challenges, especially music. You know, they like to kind of push the envelope. And I remember Martin going into the studio, and we had the sound of the bees kind of coming through into the recording studio. And we had the microphone set up, and I remember you talking about the bees and the, and how important they were. And then Deidre, your wife, Martin, is an amazing cello player. She was there along with Camille Christel, and we had the sound of the bees. And then Deidre just started to wow. play with the bees. She quickly ah. realised that the bees actually hum in the key of C. So she started playing this, uh, this, this drone in the key of C. Uh, asked her to detune it and make an octave deeper. And then Camille started singing uh, along with the bees. And it was sometimes in your life you have these incredible epiphanies. And, and that was one of them where you had the sound of the bees, the sound of the cello, the, the sound of the human voice. And it all came together and thankfully we recorded it. create a whole musical library of musical stems which could then be triggered by the bees so i mean martin do you want to talk a little bit about the work that you do with the accelerometers and and how the kind of science and your research really helped affect and influence the music yes sure so um they are sounds uh, i played to wolfgang and to his team 
but actually they are not sounds uh, to the bees. They are waveforms that are vibrational waveforms that we pick up uh, in the colony. And then once we've measured them, then we can drive them into speakers, into headphones, and then to you and I, these signals become sound. Mm. But actually at the origin, they are not sounds. They're tiny, tiny vibrations. Mm. A few of them beekeepers will have heard. Many of them beekeepers will not have heard because they are so faint that they actually produce negligible sounds when the bees make them. So we have these little sensors and we pick up these tiny, tiny vibrations taking place in the vicinity of the bee. And we played them to Wolfgang and his team. And uh, that was the start of the work on this musical artistic document that came out of it. Apart from the tooting and the quacking that we've heard a little bit about, are there any other specific noises that they make? Yes, absolutely. So the, the tooting and the quacking, they are produced by the queen bee. She's a, she's a perhaps twice longer animal than the worker bee. She's a stronger, she lives much longer, and she can deliver a vibration on the honeycomb that is so strong that uh, beekeepers will have heard the tooting and the quacking. You don't need any yeah, piece of equipment to, to hear this. Yeah. Have you? Have you? Yes, yeah. How far were you from the colony when you heard them? Oh, I just heard it. Um, I, I Once, the time I remember I heard it so strong was when I first became a beekeeper and I got my first like, loads of swarm cells and I opened my hive and there was like queens popping out the cells all over and they were coming out the little lids and then the workers were putting them back down and there was loads of noise and I could hear Ooh. these loud noises. And then another time when I heard it was when there was two queens in cages next to each other and they were piping to each other then. Wonderful. So the, the cage in which they were, that would have acted like a, like a membrane that would have produced the sound. The queen would have, mm -hmm. uh, she would have vibrated the cage and then mm. it would have made sound. The cage would have produced sound and you would have heard it. And uh, when the queens are on the honeycomb or on their queen cells, then uh, they produce the wax as the, the substrate that vibrates. And then mm. sometimes you can hear it. But uh, worker bees also do uh, such uh, vibrational signals into the honeycomb. But the worker bees tend to make much, much fainter uh, signals. They are shorter, uh, fainter. And then you need our equipment to really pick them up and hear them loud and clear. So yes, in addition to the tooting and quacking, worker bees produce a, a diversity of different vibrational pulses. I think that must be what Wolfgang has called words to you. I, I call them words as well. The reason yeah. why, uh... What words are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a collection of different <laughs> words. And I like the expression words because... Uh, it suggests that they have a repertoire of similar words that they use, and that's exactly the case. There is a dictionary of the vocabulary that uh, honeybees uh, use in terms of vibrational pulses, and uh, there's certainly at least seven of them we have identified, and some people have discussed them in the literature, but uh, there are probably 10, 15, maybe more of them yet to be discovered. Oh, my God, that's incredible. So these noises that they make, which are words, you can identify that they all sound very different. That's right. The first thing is that uh, amongst one category, they sound similar. So a toot sounds similar to a toot. 
And then there are also a, a finite repertoire of different waveforms that they use. So not only can you distinguish them, but you can also recognize two pulses that would be belonging to the same family of pulses. Mm. It's very, very much like a repertoire, very much like a language with a finite number of words that you would hear. Mm. What, sort of, um, what sort of recording equipment do you put in the hives? So in our research and in our hives, we have a wire protruding out of the box, going all the way to a computer. There's some of these little things called accelerometers in it, Martin, rather than microphones. Because I always thought you'd just put a microphone inside of a hive, but you sort of said it. But, just, but, but apparently if you put any alien kind of objects inside a hive, they'll just cover it very quickly ah. in a propolis, which will kind of render it useless. Yes, uh, one problem with the microphone indeed is that the bees will coat it with propolis or wax, and that makes the microphone mm. useless. And then the, yeah. the second problem is that uh, I think it's less close to uh, what the bee is considering to be meaningful. So we think honeybees are deaf. They certainly don't have uh, an eardrum. I found a very interesting, funny book from 1909 where <laughs> a beekeeper is uh, trying to show whether honeybees are capable of hearing or not. And he takes a honeybee, a different honeybee, every day of the summer. He takes it in his house and he plays the violin to that honeybee to see the reaction of that honeybee. Mm. And he has carefully logged day after day after day that the bee is totally ignoring him playing the violin. So, uh, that was how rude. early. How rude. But uh, prob most probably the bee actually didn't notice at all that the violin was played to her because probably they don't hear sounds. So my second point about microphones is that they pick up sounds which probably actually are irrelevant to honeybees. And the tooting and the quacking sound that we hear is irrelevant to them. What is relevant is the vibration that the mm. tooting and the quacking a queen is doing on the honeycomb. And one, one evidence of it, uh, if you ever see it with your eyes, if you see the mobile queen delivering it, you will see that she broadcasts the signal like a very busy person having a, a loudspeaker walking around the crowd and repeating the same message. Honeybees do very much the same. They, they produce a signal and then they move on the honeycomb a couple of centimeters or so, and they deliver the signal again, and then they move and so on and so forth. So you can really have evidence with your eyes that bees broadcast particular waves in the entire colony by actually physically moving from point to point. And the queen who's tooting, she would move all around the colony to make sure that she has distributed and broadcast her signal as uh, homogeneously as possible all over the colony. Because to me, Martin, I think that was one of the really interesting things about, about it. It's, it's almost when uh, sound becomes something that you can feel, you can physically feel. I mean, it's like, you know, say, for example, you know, when you go to see a band or you go to a nightclub you know you can physically feel the bass and probably that's the thing that moves you that's the thing which really gets into you and i suppose that was one of the reasons what i really wanted to do with the sculpture which i called the hive was to create the surround sound system which all these sort of speakers and subwoofers were all kind of secrete and hidden within the sculpture but the whole of the sculpture actually kind of vibrates and, and resonates. So when you're inside it, not only do you hear the sound of the real bees, uh, but also the triggers or these stems from the musical library, which the bees are triggering. But you can actually feel it around you. And there's been some incredible sort of stories and people have talked to us, Martin. Remember the guy from the uh, 
National Beekeepers Association. He found a sub a couple of years ago, and he went inside the hive just asking people what he uh, thought of the, of the sort of sculpture. And and uh, one of the anecdotes he sort of told me, which, I, which, I, which kind of blew me away, really, he was sort of saying, he started talking to this one fella, this Australian, and he sort of said, what do you think of it? And he said, so I'm an architect by trade and I'm impressed with the way it looks, but kind of that's irrelevant. What, what I'm really interested, if you look at those two young teenagers over there, they're my sons and they're both severely autistic and usually they uh, hate to touch or be touched and they're usually always making a sound, like almost like a whelping sound. And these, both these teenagers were walking around inside the hive, the sculptural hive, going around actually touching people and they weren't making any sort of sound at all. And he said, so that's the first time they actually touched people for years and... And he was sort of saying and, and suggested because it was it was the sound of the uh, in, mm. inside the sort of sculptures incredibly kind of calm and that wasn't so much to do with the musicians it, it was the bees and the sound of this drone and and to me it kind of went back to when I first picked up that frame of bees it kind of I found it incredibly calming almost like very meditative not not scary yeah. at all I mean I mean you must mm. find the same thing Esther you know when you're with the bees oh my god I think yeah I think that's what um, that's what has made me keep on doing it all these years because when I'm there, I'm so in the moment with the bees and I go into sort of like this, I feel like I'm just in the hive and I feel like I really connect to the noise and I feel so calm. I just love it. I feel so, so calm. But (laughs) when you said about these words, I've become like over the time that I've been thinking, what what are these words? And I was thinking, you know, like, I know you might not want to say what they are, Martin, because people might quote you. But can you like just (laughs) for us, can you pretend that you know what the words are? (laughs) Or can I like are the guards like vibrating at the door saying clear off or, you know, give us your nectar or have you got any pollen? I don't know. What are these? saying so uh there are uh, some of these words they have been uh, carefully looked into by other scientists than me and there are other words that uh, i have looked into and there are also other words that we don't know the meaning of so one which is well documented well researched particularly by professor schneider in the usa is the dva signal you must have noticed it when you open a hive you pull out a frame and uh, you need to let the bees settle down, give them two or three minutes without touching the frame or mm-hmm. without moving the frame so that they settle down, they come back to normality. And within seconds, you will notice this DVA signal. So this is one worker bee who gets hold of another worker bee and she vibrates the bee with her abdomen 20 times per second for one second. Have, have you seen this with your eyes? Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. yeah. So uh, to you, there is no sound associated with it because it's 20 hertz. This is the frequencies that elephants and whales use. It's infrasound, but it's actually a vibration which is substantial, certainly for the recipient, the bee who is shaken. She feels it big time. Mm. And uh, 30 years of research of Professor Schneider suggests that this is a wake-up call. So this is a bee in charge of activating the colony. It's a little bit of the the boss, if you like. And she goes from bee to bee. She finds a bee who is a little bit too idle, a little bit too lazy, and she (laughs) activates her, she shakes her, and we have evidence that the shaken bee will be more active after she's been shaken. (laughs) So uh, that's the DVA signal. This one, I can't uh, phrase it to you uh, with my... uh, 
voice because it's a very low frequency signal, but this is an example of a word that is well known. Then there is the tooting and quacking. So the tooting goes, this is a tooting. It was not delivered by a queen, but by myself. And here is a quacking now. The quacking goes, and it's in, uh, in response to the tooting. So uh, these two signals are two other words that uh, honeybees use. Martin, so you, when the shake, when that bee gives that other bee a shake, do you think she's saying, wake up, lazy? Absolutely, yes, you're spot on. But would okay. she do that? Would she do that with the lazy drones? Because there's lots of lazy drones in there. You can't help <laughs> lazy drones. They're lazy. It's like Wolfgang and I, we are absolutely hopeless. I've never seen it. Uh, I've never seen it done on a drone. I've no. never seen a DVA delivered on a drone, and I've never seen a drone busy collecting pollen or nectar. We mm. think probably drones are purely here for the purposes of uh, sexual reproduction, yes. or mating, and we think they have very little other purposes. So that's an interesting question. I've never seen a drone being woken up by uh, by a bee with this uh, signal. But coming back to the, your interpretation of the message, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're spot on. It's a bee waking up another one. And uh, there is an English expression, which is international. We, we say busy as a bee. In fact, mm -hmm. bees inside a colony are not at all busy. They're idle. The vast majority of bees are idle inside oh. a colony, not outside. But in the inside, the vast majority of are idle. And like us, and like most other animals, Bees do the minimum to have a happy life. Nobody works for nothing. You work if it's a necessity. Bees probably do the same. And the activating signal probably is because there is uh, interesting foraging outdoors, interesting weather. It's worth it to go and take the risk to forage. And so there is a, there is a professional a cast of bees which are in charge of activating the colony because now is the time where it is worth being active, it is worth foraging, and so on and so forth. I was just going to say, when you said we're, it, it's worth the risk of going out, what do you mean by that? Ah, well, uh, honeybees uh, are predated on. Uh, only the oldest honeybees go out to forage because uh, you need experience to forage. You need to avoid predators, particularly uh, wasps, particularly mm. uh, spiders particularly birds. So it mm. is a dangerous business to go out of the colony and to forage. And only the oldest bees go out and forage. It is, it is a risky business for a wow. honeybee to go out and forage. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you think they say anything um, when they're on the flowers to each other? What a fantastic question. Do they talk to each other when they are on a flower? What a splendid question. I have never been asked this question ever. <laughs> At the top of the class. <laughs> so, um, what a splendid question. I have never witnessed it. I'll tell you something I've witnessed this summer. I have seen the bumblebees vibrate a flower immediately as they land on it to stimulate mm. the flower. I think it's been shown with tomato plants that uh, mm -hmm. it is the case. They can stimulate the flower to produce nectar and pollen by vibrating it. And I've seen it and I've recorded it myself. So bees, bumblebees for sure, perhaps honeybees, actually also vibrate the flower they land on because it can stimulate uh, the flower. It can stimulate the plant. And I am convinced that the mm. plant kingdom receives and perceives vibrations just like the animal kingdom does. All our research suggests that the words that the bees are using are for the purposes of uh, social communication. So most probably what we call the vibrational words that are used amongst honeybees, most probably they take place inside the colony only because they regulate the colony. They allow the colony to take group decision with the tens of thousands of individuals involved in the group decision. And it's unlikely that one bee would communicate to another one on a flower, but who knows? It would be wonderful to, to see that happen. <laughs> I was going to say, Martin, but inside the hive as well, the, the bees actually talk to each other and communicate to each other and tell each other where, the, where there are sources of uh, nectar, you know, through the waggle dance, don't so they? So the most spectacular word is uh, the waggle dance, as Wolfgang said. And uh, not only is it the most sophisticated and most spectacular word that the, the bees are using, but in addition to that, Wolfgang and I met someone who actually used this word to actually transmit information to bees. So when you become good enough at understanding the word, when you become good enough at uh, picking up all the subtleties that these vibrational words uh, uh, entice, then you can be in the position of this scientist who in 1992 managed to actually drive artificially these words into a colony, and he managed to speak to a colony And he managed to send foragers at specific places he had decided. And he sent these words and successfully talked to a colony of bees. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Did he speak to them? Like, did he go... Bzz, 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 he did the vibrations that he'd picked up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the, bzz, bzz, the buzzing, that comes from uh, the wings of the bees. And this is the sound that us humans uh, pick up. It is a sound they can't help. It's to do with them flying, and uh, they cannot help it. The waggle dance also has this buzzing. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But uh, we think it's mostly the vibration that they pick up, not so much the buzzing of the, of the wings, not so much. Yeah, fascinating. That is amazing. Do you think great things, do you think sort of like um, really kind of extraordinary things could be achieved? through um, manipulating the bees in such a way? I think that's the thrill of beginning to understand communication. When you start having an understanding 
of the communication process, then you open up the possibility of talking to the bees. It is only if we exhaust our understanding of how they communicate inside that we can imagine the prospect of talking to them. And that's the thrill of investigating communication processes, is that you open up the possibility to then talk to something mankind was never able to talk to. And that's one of the thrill of our research, is this, this possibility. And it's been done once by this scientist in 1992, and it is certainly one of my goals, is to use some of the other words, uh, talk to the bees, and then if the bees respond as expected, then it's absolute proof that you have nailed your understanding of the word because mm. you see the bees respond accordingly to your, to your understanding. Yeah. It's amazing that, um, that that hasn't been replicated since 1992. I like your remark and I like to compare it with the landing on the moon. Man landed on the moon in 1969. It's been done three or four times afterwards, but then it wasn't repeated and uh, it's not a project that, uh, that expanded. Similarly, the, the man who talked to the bees in 1992, I think, achieved an extraordinary uh, stepping stone in, in human achievement. And uh, you are right, uh, it was not noticed. The scientist was extremely humble. It wasn't noticed. It went nowhere. We, we just have a publication and a movie about the little robot he built. And you're absolutely right. Uh, it went nowhere after that. Very interesting. But I, th I think sometimes, like Martin, I, th I think the older I get, the more I realise that you know, artists and scientists, you know, we, we share a lot of similar concerns. I think one of them is trying to, you know, express this this sense of wonder and try and articulate it somehow, you know, to, to either to an audience or to, to to a reader or to the rest of the world. And and I think to me, I, I think sometimes with you know, the world that we're in at the moment, we're so bombarded and i think the thing with sound in a way it goes back to what you were saying before Esther. and i think it's it's not only when you when you hear the bees it, it really puts you in that moment it kind of kind of connects you to the now i think and, and i think that's one of the things about sound i think maybe as, a, as an artist and when you're singing together like like in a choir it's how the kind of bees to communicate together there's this sense of kind of connectivity that, that everything else doesn't really exist you're really in the moment and so, so for me, that's, that's one of the most wonderful things to working with Martin. It's this possibility. And I mean, since we've been working on the bees, Martin, we've been working on you know, quite a few of the different projects, but we probably would have thought, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the avenues which we were exploring were completely different. But maybe as we've got older, we kind of come to realise that some of the things that we, you know, we share a lot more than, and we connect a lot more than we possibly ever thought we would have done when we were younger. Or a piece of music, Wolfgang. Well, it was it was a funny old thing. So there's a just sort of thought it'd be great to, to document it because I thought, well, after the mm. six months, it will just kind of go and disappear into the ether. So 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 we did a recording. We had some amazing musicians that played on it. You know, we had you know we had the, the string section from sort of Seagull Ross, yeah. we spiritualized uh, all sorts of amazing people. Uh, and then so so we 
kind of create like a like a record, and it was just almost like a, a life in the in the day of, of the hive, you know, the sculptural hive. And we played it to Jeff, and he really liked it. And we sort of said, we've got to get this out. And we just sort of thought it might sell twenty or thirty copies. You know, who who wants to buy a, an obscure kind of art piece with a load of bees and a load of crazy musicians? But it did really well. You know, it was on a, a, a Rivertones recordings. It's, it's it's on there. It's an album called One and. I think it got on the top 100 list in the Rough Trade and Guardian list of, of that year. We ended up actually sort of playing quite a few uh, performances, you know, live, actually playing live with the Bees at Glastonbury, in the Hive, the Blue Note Festival, where we had live stream of Bees coming onto the stage, uh, and then we'd kind of play with them. And so it was an amazing thing. And, and then last year, do you remember, Martin, when we worked with Greenpeace and Glastonbury, where we worked with the Bees from a... Because uh, so, Michael Evis and, and Pilton Farm, he's got a load of Cornish black bees, and we worked with those and created a, a sculpture called Beam, where we uh, and worked with some different musicians, you know, Daniel Avery and Kelly Lee Owens, again Camille Christel and Leela Moss, Matt Black, and again created another uh, sort of soundscape. But this is working with the Glastonbury bees, and it's amazing. You know, you ask these these you know really talented, amazing musicians, and you have to want to get involved, and because it's a, about the bees, again there's this sort of sense of wanting to get involved, this, this sense of kind of trying to be humble. So it's uh, it's it's been an amazing thing. Yeah, but, but the record itself, yeah, it's on uh, on Rivertones. It, it's 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 still out there. What is it called again? Uh, one. One, as in the number one. Uh, the one, yeah, and 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 the band, the collective, are called B, as in B E, and we're just in the process of writing a, a, the the second album from a, with the musicians that we worked with on a, a for Glastonbury. So we're hoping that's going to come out and be early next year. Mm. This, uh, this pandemic has kind of sort of changed everything. Right. Really. It's going uh-huh. to come out this year. It's going to be early next year now. I mean, Martin, did you want to talk a little bit about some of those experiments that you did where you actually sent music and vibrations, you turned music into vibrations and put it back into the hive? Yes, uh, we were invited to give a talk, Wolfgang and I, and the gentleman inviting us asked me a similar question to yours, Esther, what do bees uh, think of music? What do bees think of uh, human music? So I said, uh, I don't know, but uh, let's find out. And so uh, I uh, had a shaker on a hive. It's a little device that can vibrate, uh, a vibrator, if you like. And I drove music into that vibrator. So I shook the hive uh, with the music and I recorded mm. the reaction of the bees inside the colony. So uh, I recorded the bees before driving the music, during the driving of the music, and afterwards. And indeed, uh, the piece of music was uh, Rimsky-Korsakov's Flight of the Bumblebee, as uh, asked by the gentleman (laughs) who invited us to give that talk. You definitely get an enhanced buzzing. So there is a reaction, definitely a reaction due to the music. No doubt about it. Wow. I wanted to ask whether then if they responded to this particular piece of music and I wonder whether then each hive would express a musical taste. So one might like the Bee Gees, one might like Motorhead. I can see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to be asked to do yet another experiment. (laughs) What a fantastic idea. So I need to repeat this experiment with different colonies and see uh, which one gets upset, which one gets pleased, and if there is a difference in reaction. When you do like Esther uh, beekeeping for many years, Esther, would you agree with me that you come to realize that every colony 
has a different character. Would you agree, Oh, Esther? yeah, absolutely, yeah. We've got some, we call them the Italians we've got at the moment. <laughs> we've got the Italians, they're very calm. And we've got the Buckfasts, they're a bit more feisty. Um, what else have we got, Jane? We've got well, we, the... did have the, we did have the Muncons, but they sadly mm. yeah. left us. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jane or Esther, which uh, piece of music would you like me to drive into the shaker for the colony to experience? <laughs> you well, choose. As I've, as I've mentioned, more more to head, I'd uh, I'd like you to give them the Ace of Spades <laughs> 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 and see if they start head banging. Is this a piece of music? Sorry, this is beyond my English. I'm a French, poor Frenchman. <laughs> No, no, you, it, it, it's definitely a piece of music, Martin. I don't know whether you'd like it or not, but it's, uh, it's really fast, really loud. And, uh, yeah, the right, send me the it, track, I'll give it a go. Everything. See what happens. I'll make sure I put my beekeeping suit on first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, thank you, fellas. Honestly, yes. I would just love to a just pleasure. carry on listening to you guys all afternoon. I love it. <laughs> Exactly. So nice. This was really, really pleasant, just like being in Wolfgang's Hive. Very relaxing experience. It was Aww. wonderful. Absolutely Aww. wonderful. You've been wonderful Aww. guests. Thank you so Thank much. Yeah, no, it was really nice talking to you. No, it's oh, nice, 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 nice speaking to Aww. you. I really enjoyed it. They were brilliant. God, there was just like, that was just freaking out. It was so informative. So lovely. I know, it was amazing, wasn't it? I love you. I love you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Big love. Bye. 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 Queen Bees is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton and Andy Goddard and partly recorded at the Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from the hive. Queen Bees is a hat trick podcast. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.